Hello, and welcome to another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. My name is Andrej Matišák, and I work as the deputy head of foreign desk in Slovak Davy Pravda. Russian President Vladimir Putin is a man of dark emotions, but it's good that the West still engages with Moscow diplomatically. This is what Andrei Kolesnikov thinks. He is a senior fellow and the chair of the Russian Domestic Politics and Political Institutions Program at the Carnegie Moscow Center. We talk about Putin's decision system, if he listens to somebody, and what it all means for the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Do you want to know when was Putin honest and if he gave us a roadmap of his intentions? This podcast was recorded on February 17, just before the current round of a huge escalation. Listen to our conversation. what happens in Ukraine, on Russia's side, is President Vladimir Putin the one and only person who will decide? Can we say who is Putin listening to regarding Ukraine? The system is very closed for outsiders and everyone who speculates on who is in the room when this or that decision is, is making, I think it's it's only some presumptions or hypothesis or something. It's evident that Putin is the only person who can make final decisions. We know it on the example of Crimean campaign. It's evident that it was his own personal, emotional decision. The problem is that nobody can contain him around him. Nobody can deliver proper information and maybe some alternative scenarios of uh, possible behavior. Maybe this is a feature of uh, this closed authoritarian regime which he has constructed for 20 years. I think that for sure the Minister of Foreign Affairs, uh, Lavrov, has an access to Putin and uh, he has an opportunity to report how diplomacy can uh, help Russia to find an exit from this impasse. For sure, Sergei Shoigu, who is uh, the Minister of Defense, is also, even maybe if Putin has friends, real friends, not cronies, maybe Shoigu is one of the friends uh, because uh, Putin spends time with him. I think that people from security from the Security Council, like Patrushev, like Bortnikov, are significant for Putin because they are so-called Siloviki. They have ideology which is quite close to personal Putin's views. Very conservative, obsessed by conspiracy theories, etc., etc. And uh, economically, I think he hears people around him like. Maybe the Prime Minister Mishustin, who is pure technocrat and who is not a strategist, who is obsessed by the idea of digitalization of everything. He doesn't create any kind of economic ideology, but generally this ideology is not liberal. It is uh, based on uh, the theory of uh, more state interventions into the economic process. Interestingly, you said that uh, what we see now might be a product of how Putin was establishing his authoritarian system for 20 years. But experts sometimes compare the USSR political decision system to the current system. Because the Communist Party had more formal structures, like Politburo, they said that Putin's system is more personalized, that he is really the only one who makes all the big decisions. Would you agree or not, and why? It's interesting uh, hypothesis, because it will take uh, the Soviet time 
you know, the system was also very close, but some documents, some scripts of records of meetings of Politburo, all these documents are demonstrating that it was really a collective way of state management. For sure, Brezhnev had a, had a weight, but at the same time, uh, he always was hearing all the members of the Politburo and they created their own uh, mutual decision. It was in bad cases, in good cases, in bad cases, just like the invasion of Afghanistan for instance, but it was collective decision. They all signed these documents or they all had similar uh, arguments. Right now, we think about another kind of system which is personalized, which is uh, strongly authoritarian uh, and um, which is based on uh, prejudices, on uh, uh, the way of thinking of uh, one person who influences the thinking of uh, his inner circle. So I think it's the right presumption. When you follow all the diplomatic and intelligence leaks in the Western media about the real possibility of the Ukraine invasion, how do you read this? Is the West, and perhaps not deliberately, building the war hysteria as the Kremlin claims? Or could it really be an attempt to deter Putin from acting by signaling that the West knows what Moscow plans? The second version is very plausible because, uh, as Kurt Walker said in one of the interviews, TV channel Dost, independent channel, which is foreign agent in, in Russia, he said that uh, the last thing that Putin will begin is uh, the war according to the schedule of the Americans, <laughs> the American planning. He must uh, do something uh, vice versa. Maybe the Americans uh, prevented the invasion. But I think that uh, all these attempts of Macron, of Olaf Scholz, ministers of foreign affairs of Great Britain or the minister of defense of Great Britain, all these efforts are not in vain because it's important for Putin psychologically to be in the center of this process, to be the person who is waiting for people who are coming to him. He's a Tsar and uh, he's not coming to the Western capitals. The leaders of the biggest uh, European uh, countries are coming to him in order to prevent the war, in order to talk with him, can explain his own logic. It's important psychologically and maybe this is also important steps to prevent the war. It's better to talk with, with him than not to talk. It's, it's important. Not to mention that he is more or less equal to the most mighty country in the world, uh, the most mighty person in the world. I mean, Biden. Biden is calling him. Biden wants to see him. Biden wants to, to negotiate. And it means uh, that, in that sense, Putin, who was seeking all the time for equality with the West, he has got this equality. And he has got the achievement of the intermediary goal he was hurt by these mighty persons, and uh, they are discussing these two months only his own agenda, his own terms, not, not the Western agenda and the Western problems. I will come back to those diplomatic efforts, but just one more question about Western intel leaks. I know I am only widely speculating, but by judging by these leaks, do you think that the West sees into Putin's inner circle? It's a hard question to answer because uh, in reality, we don't know anything, uh, absolutely. But it's a good question because it's a question of technology. <laughs> Let's say how they gather this information, uh, what is the source of the possible leaks. When I was working as a journalist, for instance, in Nova Gazeta, which was strong in investigative journalism, I knew about uh, some sources in uh, military circles, in Siloviki circles, which were ready to leak 
because they thought that it's important for the country to make their own information achievable to big audience because they think that their own state, their own bosses are behaving in a wrong way. Maybe Americans have this kind of spice, but uh, it's really hard question because uh, why Americans were announced it publicly, they were sure that the information is, uh, is plausible. No answers to these questions. And why Russian intelligence can't catch these people <laughs> until now, it's also a question. Maybe the quality of Russian Siloviki circles is not so high as we think about them. It became uh, more or less evident during the, for instance, Kripal case, when uh, two funny persons were involved in the process of poisoning. They were not so smart. They didn't look like uh, real spies from uh, movies. Andre, you said that Putin's decision to annex Ukrainian Crimea was emotional. So how much do emotions play a role when the Russian president thinks about what he will do regarding Ukraine? I think they are extremely important because Putin is a man of dark emotions and sometimes he becomes angry, even visible, when he is getting some questions from the audience and he's answering with such a big emotion inside him, which is he's trying to contain himself. He's very emotional. We've got accustomed to think about him as about rational man. Sometimes he's rational, this is really so, but... He has very crooked vision of the world, being inside this power and getting information only from FSB and uh, spy offices, Silviki bodies, etc., etc. I think he can't perceive the, uh, the reality normally. As a normal person, as a normal analyst, as a normal uh, average citizen, and uh, because of that, he inspires inside himself all this all this emotion. Not to mention that the inferiority complex inside him is also important. I mean, when uh, he began to set about inequality in relations with the West uh, nearly from the very beginning of his first term uh, in the office. At least in the year 2002, he said that we are ready even to enter NATO, but we must understand, we must know that we are absolutely equal in terms of relations with the West. This is kind of his obsession. And... uh, The Crimean example is very dangerous in that sense, and uh, this is a lesson for the West. When Putin, uh, we are celebrating now uh, the 15th anniversary of Munich speech, and it found out that it wasn't simply rhetoric. He demonstrated his roadmap, how he will behave in the future. Nobody could seriously believe this kind of roadmap, but he was honest <laughs> in that very moment that he, when he explained how he sees the world, uh, let's say, emotionally, with a lot of Soviet-like thinking about the place of Russia in the concert of big countries. So we can say that even if Putin is emotional, we have to take him seriously when he talks, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. We must follow attentively his personal notions. Any word could be the source of bellicose behavior from his side. How much are you worried about the possibility that Russia will attack Ukraine? Do you think that something will happen? And I'm not necessarily talking only about a large-scale invasion. You know, it's, it's possible. I think we are inside the polls, not more. Yes, we, we have got small relief after February 16, but at the same time, we understand if Putin will feel again that the West is not ready for further concessions, maybe very small. 
I think that he understands that it's impossible for the West to accept uh, his proposals about the enlargement of NATO and uh, non-accepting of Ukraine in NATO structures. But uh, at the same time, in my opinion, it's extremely important to maintain the high level of uh, not tension, but negotiations with Russia on very concrete and very substantive subjects like uh, short and medium-sized missiles, for instance. It's an important story. And if uh, Russia will be involved in a permanent process of negotiations, it could be quite good because uh, Russia will have less uh, reasons for beginning of a, of a real war or a small war, limited war, let's say, in Ukraine, not coming to Kiev or something, but uh, maybe creating some hybrid war operations or uh, taking Donbass under more control. It's also war and it's a continuation of war. So in that sense, uh, we can't be too optimistic about the final decision not to intervene, not to make an invasion. The West is trying to open as many communication channels as possible with Russia. On the other hand, NATO is reacting and it plays a deterrent role and sanctions against Russia on the table. How do you assess this balancing act? So far, so good? Paradoxically, yes, because to some extent it's an inevitable way of um, inevitable chain of events, let's say. West can't stop containing Russia, tearing Russia, but at the same time, the process needs more and more communications, negotiations, back channels, open channels, closed channels, etc., etc. Different tracks, Minsk agreements, trying to find the way how to implement it with some concessions from different sides uh, is important. And maybe in that sense, it's quite productive when Putin tried to pay attention to this problem, being so vocal. Uh, only the threat of a real war was the incentive for the West uh, to pay more and more attention to the very process of possible negotiations, because it was total impasse before that. Maybe right now these incentives could help primarily Americans to continue negotiations process, because Russians are openly saying that the only part which is serious in this process, this is the United States of America. Understand NATO, Europe, it's important, but we're talking with big guys. We are big guys and we are ready to talk only with seriously with only big guys on the other side. And they are Americans. Biden, Blinken, Sullivan, etc. etc. By the way, what do you think will happen to Donbass? Will Russia in the end swallow the so-called People's Republics? We saw this initiative in Duma as Russian lawmakers have passed direct appeal to President Putin to recognize them. I think primarily this is a public relations campaign. The main uh, audience is, is a domestic audience, for the moment at least. Yes, the West was extremely frightened and there were a lot of questions uh, about it. and uh, Nobody could understand how serious it, it is. Not to mention the fact that Putin said uh, the same day that I understand the feelings of Duma, they express the opinions of Russians, they are created for that goals. So they share the visions of the majority of Russians. This is not a majority, to say the truth. And 28% of respondents say that they are for the independence. And this is a deteriorating figure. But at the same time, the quarter of respondents of Levada Center, they are for the incorporation of these territories into Russian Federation. So it's a contradictory situation in that sense. But the next day, Peskov said that uh, this idea is in contradiction with Minsk agreements. It's evident. But uh, it doesn't mean that in a case of, let's say, violations from the Ukrainian side of the Minsk agreements, 
they will not revive this scenario as a real practical scenario. This is kind of a dormant weapon uh, for Russia. We have one more option you must take into account in the West, I mean, in Ukraine, because we're a democratic country and parliament can influence uh, the situation and we can take this scenario, this weapon uh, as a practical weapon. We talk about diplomacy and you said that Putin is really interested in negotiating only with the big guys, which means with Americans. Imagine that we would have the second administration of Donald Trump, not Joe Biden's White House. Would it make any difference? I don't think so, because America is America, it's American democracy is working. Because the same troubles with the negotiations process were visible during the Trump's presidency. All these nuclear agreements on the open sky, etc., etc., they were demolished during the time of Trump's presidency. means that it doesn't matter who is, in that sense, who is the president of the United States. But at the same time, a lot of things depends on the quality of thinking in the State Department, for instance. And Blinken is, is the right person to find an exit from uh, this uh, impasse. I would say that during Trump's presidency, the State Department also was quite quite workable. <laughs> yeah, perhaps, except of the highest level. But Andre, please, maybe if you could be a bit personal. How is the atmosphere in Russia? Do people talk about war when they meet for a coffee or a beer? And by the way, any significant anti-war movement? No significant anti-war movement. Because of such an inner disbelief in the possibility of war, I think the majority is simply following the television news, internet news, because Kremlin is also penetrating the internet deeply. I would say that Russians are reluctant, lazy militarists, generally. Sitting on the sofa and watching TV, and it's okay to, to see how we are becoming great again. But all those people are not ready for sure for, for a real war to go to the trenches, to send their boys to the trenches. It's absolutely impossible. The society is urbanized, modernized, and they want to live, not to die at the end of the day. Denis Volkov, who is the director of Levada, sometimes he explains me how people say. This is a very contradictory perception of reality. These people could be very bellicose, uh, but at the same time, uh, they do not want real war. They can understand the necessity of possible military operations, but they prefer a professional character of these operations. No, not all, all Russia is all Russia war. What is concerning my own circles, uh, for sure, we, we are discussing primarily the war. Uh, all the time, for sure, in a very skeptical way, anti-Putin way, <laughs> let's say. But this is a very small circle, let's say. This was another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. Subscribe, listen on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and all the other platforms. Thank you for listening and stay tuned. Thank you.